Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Hello, hello. Hi, Michelle. Welcome for joining us today on Women in B2B Marketing. And just to give you a quick intro, everyone, today we have with us Michelle Kim, Director of Sales Operations at Zendesk. And also, to give a little bit of insight, Michelle is on Team GSD, Censored Version Get Stuff Done. Get shit done, is how I say it. <laughs> a lover of physical planners and an advocate for advancing and empowering women in her network and just an altogether awesome person that I'm very excited to have on the show today. And we met through a group that I, I love, a community called Women in Revenue and a workshop led by the amazing Sydney Sloan, all about personal branding and getting yourself out there and setting goals for yourself. So. Huge, huge thanks to Sydney Sloan and Women in Revenue for introducing me, me to Michelle. Yeah, thank Welcome. you so much for having me, Jane. I'm so excited. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, happy to. We're going to dive into the world of RevOps, SalesOps, the gray area between um, and all the other names for this kind of world. And yeah, very excited to dive into this today. We haven't touched on this in, in Women in B2B Marketing yet. Yeah, let's get to it. Happy well, to get started and tell the world a little bit more about what I do and how it connects to marketing. <laughs> awesome. Well, I always love to start out with just a little background on who you are and how you got to where you are today. In, in just doing some, some light digging, it looks like you came from the world of CS ops, so customer success operations, and then came into the sales side of things. So just would love to hear in your own words, your journey of how you got into this world that you're in today. Of course, happy to accommodate. Uh, so actually, if you rewind even more, my origin story, my origin is actually in sales. So I was selling SaaS software hardware um, a company, data backup disaster recovery company. I did that for three years, actually. And I sold from SMB, mid-market, commercial to enterprise. And I actually took a really brave step. I'm a very risk-averse person, but I took the brave step of, you know what? I don't like this as much as I probably should. Yeah. <laughs> so I lined up some opportunities outside of sales uh, and I got into Teach for America, which is a teaching program and actually was unfortunately, but also fortunately in a car accident right before it started. So I got a deferral wow. uh, through the program and ended up taking that time to really focus on myself. I'd never, as a type A overachiever type person, I'd never really taken the time to focus on my physical, mental, emotional health. And so taking that time about a year and a half to recuperate yeah. and reinvigorate myself was really, really critical in helping me to be where I am today. So after that experience, I got recruited back from my former director to be a customer and partner marketing manager at uh, Seagate. Mm -hmm. So I did that. So I did sales, marketing, and then um, internally, I moved into customer success programs at Seagate. And then I've done customer success operations for maybe five years. And now I've been in wow. sales operations for three years. So over the, the course trifecta. of 15 years, it's sales, a very- marketing, CS. Love it. Yeah. And um, yeah, even when I was in uh, marketing at Seagate, 
Um, I was doing not a lot, but some marketing operations. So I have exposure to all three pillars of the core pillars of revenue operations. And what's really funny, and I will tell everyone who's figuring out what is your career path? How are you charting your path to the next step? I ended up in sales ops by a happy accident. So Zendesk had originally recruited me for a different role, a customer uh, operations role, and I didn't get it. So you never know what's going to happen because immediately after that, maybe a week or two after that, they said, hey, we really like you. Instead, would you be open to interviewing to support the largest, the bread and butter of Zendesk, basically the North America sales organization. So I said, this is a great opportunity. I have to pivot. And instead of really going deep into CS ops, maybe it's time to try something different. So that's where, how I came to be where I am today. Oh, I love that. And that's such a solid background to understand for RevOps as I understand it, which I'm sure is only one little piece of the pie, but of sales, CS, and marketing to really just tie everything together and understand all worlds because you've been in all three. So you must be just highly respected from all the teams because they they can't think, oh, Michelle is is only focused on this team here. They must see that you come from all three backgrounds. I hope I I don't know if it's taken that way, but I certainly hope so. I I think we can go into this if you want, but I get a lot of requests on LinkedIn, actually, which I encourage, like reach out to the people that you are interested about. And I got a lot of questions about what are the most important skills in operations, sales ops, rev ops, CS ops, what have you. And it's a little, it might be debatable, but for me, more than technical chops, I really think that communication and the ability to work with people is actually very, very key because you can sit in a silo all day long and create processes and update systems. But if you're not communicating and getting that two-way feedback, it's really hard to actually make a positive impact that will drive additional revenue and efficiencies for the company. Yeah. You're almost at the tie between the teams, right? So your communications has to be key and pivotal in aligning the three groups or maybe even more in some roles. It's more. Yeah. It's more. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, because it's a lot of um, operations is we just talked about CS ops, marketing ops, sales ops, but for those who are deep in RevOps, they know we also have professional service ops. We have partner operations. We have solutions consulting operations. Wow. Uh, what am I missing? Any customer facing team needs support to figure out what's the strategy and how do we operationalize and get people moving? Because we want those people who do what they do best and who like to work with customers to succeed. So that's how I see the role of RevOps, regardless if you're in any of those buckets. And I I think that's why I like what I do, because it helps people do what they like to do better. Yeah, I love that. How do you see the difference between sales ops and rev ops? Because I know we were talking about this before the mics turned on, but I was listening to even just one podcast recently. I'm sure this is said often, but the transition has or the shift has kind of been made from sales ops to rev ops at some organizations without anything actually changing. It's just the title change to modernize the, the team. But in some organizations, it's starting from scratch as RevOps, revenue operations, and it's totally different. So I'm curious what your take is on sales ops versus RevOps, if they're one in the same or how disparate they can be. There is a misconception that sales ops equals RevOps. Personally, I don't think that is the case. Sales ops Mm. is part of the wider umbrella of revenue operations. So as you can probably think, revenue operations is really the operations, the processes, the policies, 
the systems that will help drive revenue for the company. And that's not just coming from sales, right? As someone who has a heavy CS ops background, you can get more revenue from your customers. In fact, a lot of companies, the majority, sometimes the majority of their bookings come from customers. So if we're not thinking about how can we support our customers and also at the same time, get more revenue from them, you're missing a huge part of the picture, right? So I think sales ops is one part of the RevOps family. And the reason RevOps became more popular, I think in the last several years, is because people finally realize this, right? I met, I was at a dinner a couple months ago with someone who has been doing CS ops for a few years. And I, I said, yeah, I've been doing CS ops since 2014, 15. He said, it was around back then. Yeah. So that's where you're, that's where you're yeah. seeing now how it's, it was more nascent, right? These teams that kind of support the supporting non-sales teams do need that support, the strategy of the operations. But a lot of the times, historically, it was, these are kind of like the non-core teams, right? And so yeah. getting that support may have been very hard or difficult, And a lot of time that burden might have sat on the shoulders of the sales operations team, because unless you have a go-getter who's on the CS team or someone who's interested in the marketing ops world, maybe just on the side, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the people sometimes that were the ops, quote unquote, for uh, those supporting teams as non-sales teams. But more and more, I think people are realizing this need. And I strongly believe it's due to this increased awareness of what is even possible, right? If you don't even know that yeah. there is such a thing as CS ops, how can you implement in your company across your teams a support system? Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, before our chat just now, I had never heard of CS ops. So that's mind blowing to me, but instantly it has my mind thinking we could really use CS ops <laughs> uh, and really just every team. Like we have sales ops, right, at my company, and she is awesome and kind of helps us on the marketing ops side too. And I do see her getting into CS a little bit. So that's interesting. I wonder if somebody is kind of already dabbling in all three, do you think that person then becomes RevOps focused? I mean, it really depends on the priorities of the business, right? Yeah. So I've been very fortunate to work at more mature companies, which is why I started in CS Ops. I can see that perhaps a lot of more early stage companies Maybe they don't have the customers. Maybe they don't have CSMs. Maybe they don't have a renewals team. So it might not make sense to have a full-time head dedicated to figuring out what are the processes and policies and systems that we need to ensure that the people facing our customers dedicated to customers are successful. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily RevOps that you're doing at a company if you're doing dabbling here and there. I think you have to figure out as a RevOps professional, if you want to be one, what's yeah. the strategy? Where am I going to focus? Because at a lot of companies, it might not be needed until a later stage or a different stage of, of the company. So interesting, this whole world. Because I, I guess I've been at smaller companies, so a lot of this is new to me. So this is super exciting to dive into. If we can take a step back, how would you explain sales ops or your portion, like what you focus on today? If you kind of give us an insight into the a day in the life, right? And what your core goals are and what your team is focused on, what you deliver on at the end of the day or quarter or year, that could help give a little context, right? To sales operations in particular. Great question. So the question is, what are my goals as a sales ops professional? What do I do? Is that the yeah, question? Yeah, exactly. Right. 
So as a sales ops professional at Zendesk specifically, I'm a regional business partner. So I partner with our SVP of North America sales and help her. I think it's actually amazing. I've both SVPs at Zendesk have been women that I've supported. Ooh. So I help her, um, Kate Garcia, figure out what's the strategy and how do we operationalize? So it's figuring out what's the most efficient way to carve our territories for salespeople, what quotas do we need to assign to them? How can we get to those quotas in a method data-based way? What are the trends and insights that I can provide based off of knowing the pulse of the business, understanding the historical trends? Mm -hmm. What are the leading indicators of what may happen in the future? Another big part of what I do is actually forecasting. So mm -hmm. that's a core sales operations competency. And I've been really fortunate at Zendesk to learn and become more of an expert on that area because prior to Zendesk, I had done a lot of turn and contraction, renewals forecasting. But I'll be honest with you, when I first started at Zendesk, I had never done sales operations, you know, proper, so uh, properly. So um, getting that mentorship and doing my own research and spending the time and putting in the sweat to understand how all of that worked at Zendesk really helped. So forecasting is, is a huge one that's really critical to helping our leadership team know, can we be predictable in our revenue, in our bookings? So those are a few examples of what I do, but in yeah. sales ops in general, there's other aspects to it, right? Other flavors, I like to call it other flavors of sales ops. So there are teams that might work on commissions or compensation, right? So figuring out what's the best way to incentivize and how do we ensure we properly pay our salespeople. There's also people who focus on systems and processes and automation and how do we mm -hmm. ensure we figure out what is the best process, what is the best way to execute that process in a system. That's an area that I really enjoy as well because it's fun to figure out how to get a new process set up, but also then how to iterate on it, how to improve it, how to automate. So what am I missing? So we talked about business partnership. We talked about compensation. We talked about systems. I'm sure I'm missing more. There's a lot that we do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's a whole world of exciting things to learn in sales ops. So that's why I really like it. But a core goal as to your question is really to help figure out how do we keep the revenue engine running smoothly? So that's why I love operations. It's all about efficiencies, right? And figuring out, okay, this is a problem. What's the best way to solve it? And I mentioned this earlier, right? You're not going to do this alone. You can't do it yeah. alone because you need to have the close feedback loop. Collaboration is extremely critical in ensuring that you are not just out there on your own in the wild, wild west. And maybe it might work in more of a startup environment when you're maybe the only person and there are only a handful of other people in, in the organization. But as companies scale and grow, that skill set is extremely, even more critical to your yeah. success. So I think, you know, to recap, agree and work together on making business processes more efficient. We help to ensure that our customer facing teams are teed up to do whatever it is they do best, right? Sales, marketing, customer success, solutions, consulting, you name it. And yeah. so I think that ensuring that we think thoughtfully about our strategy, how do we go to market is a really core part of what we do. Love this. That thank you for all of the context too. This is all just amazing to really define sales operations. And I'm sure there's some 
changes at each company, right? Everyone has a different org structure and how they define things. Um, I have two questions from what you just touched on. One is on the org structure at Zendesk or even a past company you've worked with, do you work with other a, a CS ops team and then a marketing ops team and then all work with rev ops too? And are you each kind of a separate entity or how do your teams all collaborate together if that's actually how it is set up there? This is an age old debate. So <laughs> I won't go into Zendesk specifically, yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you how, what the debate is, right? It's yeah. centralized or decentralized. So you can imagine, actually, I'll start with decentralized. So decentralized is the more traditional way that RevOps or ops teams have been set up. So you can imagine that as a C VP of CS, oh man, I really need some support, right? I need help figuring out what are the comp plans for my CSMs? Like, am I going to figure yeah. out myself? So that is typically when a lot of the time a ops person is needed, right? It's a, that need comes from an actual person, the VP or the leader of the organization. And so a lot of the times historically, the sales ops team will be reporting directly to the sales leader. The CS ops lead will report directly to the VP of success. Yeah. The marketing ops team would rule under marketing. So that's the decentralized model, which is a lot more traditional. Yeah. And the benefit of that is, wow, they're really aligned with the leader of the organization and aligned to the objectives of, of that team. Now, the con to that is all these operations people, I kind of liken it to we're all of the same, and I'm not, I'm not going to get this right, but we're on the same genus and maybe different species. Yeah. So, you know, like the wolf versus the coyote type of thing. So we're all yeah. sort of, of the same, we're all same, made of the same metal, right? Like of, of the core competencies, a lot of Excel, right? Analytics and systems oriented, process oriented thinking a lot of the times is what is common. And that's why I have a lot yeah. of ops friends because we all generally enjoy what we do and kind of approach life in a similar mindset of how to improve and constantly iterate. So what happens then is these people might not be aligned in their objectives, right? And so that's why I think the rise of revenue operations has been more prominent over the last few years. Yeah, People are realizing that there is value in making a more centralized group of ops professionals and ops teams so that that team can look across the business and understand in these areas at the top of the funnel, at the end of the funnel, hey, like I would, as a CS ops person at companies that I've been at, I almost never talk to marketing ops, right? And then there are companies where in a centralized model, you're part of the team, you're part of the family. So aligning the goals and the priorities and the projects I think that's a real benefit, but at the same time, you know, the, the con to that centralized model is that maybe you're not as close to the business leader, but I don't, I don't actually believe that. So for me, I'm a real big advocate of the centralized model because I do believe that you can have a very strong relationship with your business stakeholder and at the yeah. same time be objective because you're not there to do everything for them. You're there to support the business. So that's kind of my take on the decentralized versus centralized model. Love that. Thank you. That's super interesting. And at the end of the day, you're there to 
help the company achieve their goals at the end of the day, right? So it's providing more data and insights so that you can together collaborate to make the right decisions to get towards those goals. One other thing that you touched on that is a huge piece of your current position is forecasting. I'm curious, how has that changed in today's economy? Like it, for me, it feels like forecasting is just impossible right now. Everything changes the past really the past two, three years, it's just been so difficult to have accurate forecasting. But I'm um, curious how, how you've circumvented that and worked through it to get as accurate as possible forecasting for your teams and with your team. So there are many ways to define forecast accuracy. And I'm very lucky to have been mentored and learned from Dimitri Tamperopoulos, who's who was my former senior director at Zendesk. And we would get, I want to say like within between one to 5% accuracy, Wow, um, depending on when you look. So, and I think the benefit too is, again, I'll go maybe a little bit away from Zendesk, but there yeah. are a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people as someone who researched forecasting, right? Like how does it work? What should we be looking at? What should we be considering, right? And I've talked to a lot of different companies and a lot of different models like PLG, right? Product-led growth t- companies, um, companies that are like purely outbound, companies that are big deals, companies that are small transactions, a mix. And it's really going to depend on the stage of maturity of your company and the types of deals that your sales team is going after, right? And the motions, right? Is it self-service? Yeah. Is it all outbound? So I would say that for companies that are more established, they might have had the benefit of leveraging historical data. But honestly, that from talking to other companies and knowing what I know about the industry kind of went out the window the last few years because we had in tech a huge hump and then the drop, right? So I don't have a straight answer for you. I think a lot of the times in sales operations and even, you know, CS operations that I've been a part of forecasting, it really depends on your company. So I think really figuring out and understand if you want to, if you are listening and you want to learn more about forecasting, I encourage you to go talk to your sales ops person, right? Because they will be able to tell you more specifically about how your business actually runs um, the elements that they're looking at and what they're doing. I, so I, I don't really have, a, unfortunately, a straight answer for you, but hopefully that gives yeah. you a little bit more context in how I think about the forecasting world a bit. For sure. And that's amazing. I mean, kudos to you, 1% to 5% <laughs> accuracy. That's, I mean, 1% to 5% um, disparate from the accurate. Well, I won't say, I'll just say this. That's not always the case, but that's who I learned from. And he was at, yeah. Dimitri was at um, HP for a long time, I think, in sales strategy. So I got a lot of learnings from him on the sales strategy side. Very cool. Which brings me into, you've touched a lot on um, research in various aspects of, of your role that you do a lot of research. Would you say that that is key to success in the roles you've taken on? Like what kind of research or what would you do to be most successful in your roles and what has been most, most important for you? One thing that has been helpful for me, I love to learn. I love studying. I'm like a straight A student. I love learning. And um, part of operations is you're not going in there guns blazing with, I'm going to start this, I'm going to do that. You really need to, it's so important to take the time to understand what exists today. It's there for a reason. And part of my success, I think, is not going in and immediately saying like, this needs to change. I need to follow this playbook. As I mentioned earlier, it all depends. Every company, every team is unique. The situation really merits a bit of more thought in 
how did this come to be the way it is? And yeah. is this, and I think for me, the, the thing that I've gotten, I hope have gotten good at is prioritization, right? Because there are so many problems as someone who is an innate problem solver, <laughs> I see problems everywhere. And yeah. so figuring out what are the most important problems to solve, what are the most urgent, urgent problems to solve that Eisenhower matrix, right? Of urgent versus important is something mm-hmm. I employ daily. And so researching, and I mentioned this earlier, communicating with other people in different teams, my own team, the teams that I support, helps you get the full 360 picture. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not communicating upstream or downstream, then any changes you make to your process or policies or systems is really going to create friction, right, within the business of, oh, shoot, I forgot that this would impact this team later on down the road. So doing that due diligence is extremely critical to ensuring that you're successful. And also, it's I mean, think about it. If someone makes a change, right, and you're like, wow, I depended on that report or I depended on that data set, and they just changed it or it's gone. Yes. What, do you, what is your reaction as a human being, right? So it's a bit of consideration that I think when I'm look, hiring people, right, that thoughtfulness of trying to figure out what's the most human way to approach my work is really important to me. Yeah, I love that. And another podcast that I was listening to recently on, on RevOps specifically was um, the guest was saying that there's a such thing as too much data in this world and you can overwhelm people with the data. And she actually tests things by doing exactly what you just said not to do, right? Taking away reports and seeing if anybody notices to see to get them to focus on the things that actually matter to achieve the company goals. That's one way to go about it. But it, it is that really struck a, a nerve with me because I can see that there's you get so data hungry and you can go down so many rabbit holes of figuring out all of these different mini, micro solutions almost, but it gets you, it's a distraction at the end of the day if you're not focused on the right 10, priority. thousand percent distraction. And that's, I talked about Sydney, right? So yeah. Sydney made a post the other day on LinkedIn about her favorite F word is focus. And I thought that yes. was so funny, <laughs> but it's so true. And I, especially when... There are a lot of initiatives going around and the teams aren't aligned. It's hard to focus, especially when you're not, you know, when you're at this, as you, as I've progressed in my career, I realize you're kind of at the bottom. It's tough. It's tough to know what's the priority, right? So if your team is not aligned in what the priorities are, you're not communicating, you don't know each other's strengths and weaknesses, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, because that's almost for me, that's equally important as like what needs to be done is is the person who's going to execute on these priorities or this project, are they excited about it? You know, yeah. so that's going to really influence um, the energy around those initiatives as well. Ooh. So this goes back to the people and communications aspect that you first brought up, right? How do you influence energy there? I mean, let's say, you know, based on the data you're looking at that we need to go in one direction or your team needs to go in one direction, but you can't, they don't seem rallied behind that. How do do you either go down one route and rally them? And if so, how, or do you go down the other route and change so that it's something you can all align on? The answer is probably, it depends, isn't it? It depends. (laughs) It depends on the person and depends on the project, how important it is. What I really appreciate is when people come proactively and say, Michelle, this is such a big problem. It's driving me nuts. I really want to help make a difference. And that makes my heart sing because I'm like, 
That's great. I'm so excited that you found something that you are so passionate about that you want to make a difference and change. So now those have to somehow align to the priorities and objectives of the business, right? So first things first is knowing what are the priorities of the business. And if you can't get to that level, go to um, the team that you support, right? Your your sales team, your sales leadership team. Is this important enough to them? Is this going to move the needle? And then also judge whether within your own, like in a more centralized model, right? Within your own operations team, is this part of our priorities? And again, if you don't have that visibility at the top level, which I talk to a lot of people in more um, early stages of their career, and that's really common where there's maybe alignment at the, VP or senior director, director level, but they're not passing it down. So as a early stage or mid-career individual, I think it's important to at least figure out what's within your control, what's within your scope and be proactive about it. So then how do I motivate people, right? Who don't come to me with those problems that they want to solve. And really it's, if you don't take the initiative and I, you know, I try my best to ask Uh, qualifying questions, right? From my sales background, I ask questions and try to figure out like, what do they want? What is their pain point? Right. And then I try to tease out like, Hey, I've noticed X, Y, Z really seems to bother you. What do you think about it? Or have you thought about it? And sometimes people just don't really know or can think to express that. Right. But the more you communicate about the problems you're seeing, the problems that bother you, I think it helps your leadership team understand where can I connect the dots between this problem and wow, this person is really bothered by it. And maybe they'll, so kind of teasing that out is a really important aspect of um, management and leadership. I don't even think it's management because I do a lot of cross delegation, delegation downward and kind of mentorship. And just, I, I, sometimes I'll notice like, oh man, this, this person is really good at their job and I can tell their energy is very low. And so I'll ask them, Hey, like, how are you doing? And we'll meet and we'll talk. And then I'll hear, oh, this wow, this problem's really a big deal to you. And so I think that's what leadership is, where you're not just thinking about your team, but how can the organization run more specifically? Because everyone has their unique individual strengths. And I'm taking a class through Stanford Continuing Studies right now called, it's called Strengths Finders. It's the Clifton's Strengths Finders. And I really, really strongly believe that if you use your strengths, your core strengths every day, you're a happier, more productive, more content person. And so I focus a lot, unfortunately, especially in my past on, in the past on what are my weaknesses? How do I improve that? (laughs) And then as I grow in my career, I'm realizing, wow, I can have fine teammates, hire people who are better than I will ever be or ever want to be in certain areas. So I can do the things that I'm good at that I want to do. And of course, like we're all getting paid hopefully to do a job. So sometimes you're going to have to do things that you don't like, or you don't want to do, or you're not passionate about, but that's part of the, part of the gig, right? So how can you figure out ways if you're not happy in that project, maybe you start up something else. So I think motivating people is very hard, but one tactic you can use is to really understand their psychology of what makes them tick, what interests them, what bothers them. And like some people may, may not really have that will, right? And we talk a lot in management about will versus skill. So if you have the skill, you don't have the will, that's a huge problem. If you got the will, but you don't have the skill, you have to figure out how to coach up that person, how to ensure that they figure out how to improve in that skill. And then if you got the will and the skill, and from personal experience, sometimes 
a lot of times I do have the will and the skill. I'll just be not to toot my own horn. But even toot, when you do have way. that, <laughs> even, <laughs> but even when you do have that, you're going to, there's peaks and valleys in life, right? There are things that you don't know that are going on in someone's life that might yeah. make them less of themselves maybe than they yeah. have been in the past. So really understanding and knowing your people and what makes them tick. What do they care about? What's going on in their lives? Some people might not be open to sharing that. But if you show you care as a leader, it really makes a huge difference, right? And not yes. in an artificial way, but more in a more genuine way of what's really going on with you and not brushing off like, oh, this happened to me. It's like, I think that's a really part important part of getting people motivated and influencing them to do the things that need to be done. Yeah, I love everything that you just said, because I feel like I've always, and I think it's common that many people have this perception of any operations team, right, as being just data, 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 spreadsheets, which is a big portion of it. But I love that you bring the EQ human side to it. So you're, you're almost, I want to say operationalizing EQ, but it's the opposite. It's like you're just bringing, you're coding everything with this human side of things so that you can improve operationally on it on that level as well because especially the past few years that's become just critical and there's so many ups and downs that we're all going through mentally emotionally just behind the scenes that we have to address and it impacts performance it impacts it, it impacts the vibe of the the team and the company so addressing that can also help hit company goals right there's an operations component to that too i never thought of that and I think that's a very unique Michelle aspect that you bring to the role. <laughs> I think it is too. You're right. People think operations, they think data, they think reports, they think yeah. all these things. But at the core, the reason I like my job is because it's helping people. That's really the bottom line. And how do we make help the people? We make things better. Yeah. We yeah. improve the quality of life. I know it's so cheesy, but like I'm not out here doing heart surgery. Yeah. But at least I feel that my efforts that I put in my day-to-day -day are making hopefully a positive impact on the people that I work with and that I support. And I'll admit there are times when it's hard for me to muster up that energy. So it's really, I really yeah. appreciate it when people bring that energy as well, because it's contagious. So yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really important part of, of operations, I just the that. human element. That's the core yeah. of what we're doing. So true. If there is somebody just starting out in operations, be it RevOps or SalesOps or CSOps, or if there's a team that is small, so a SaaS startup, for instance, that does not have any operations team, how would you recommend they get started with this kind of mindset? Like what's the step one to just improve performance and operational efficiency? Where would you direct them if you came in as a consultant, let's say? Well, you can, anyone who's interested can reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to give advice specific to your situation. Um, I do it all the time, but Aww. on the individual level, it's really, maybe it's operationalizing yourself, right? So I think a lot about self-management, team leadership, uh, team management, and I'd rather go back. I'm going to go back to this. So self-leadership, team level leadership, and then industry level leadership, right? Mm. So you're, if you're an individual contributor or someone starting in their career or someone coming straight out of college, I work with interns. I love interns. I love seeing people grow so quickly over yeah. a short time. I think understanding, like I said, the as much as you can, and you don't have to 
focus too much time on it necessarily because you don't want to be analysis by paralysis by analysis, right? Yeah. But figuring out, yeah, what what am I doing on my day to day? Like, how am I prioritizing my time? Am I just yeah. doing tasks that someone is asking me to do, or can I think a little bit broader about what is this particular task or project going to do to help the company, or is it not? So sometimes. And I don't know if this drives with everyone, but for me, I prefer people tell me like, Michelle, you know what you, we agreed on this project, but after looking through it, I really don't believe it's going to make an impact. I think it's a waste of time. And Mm. depending on the priorities and how important that project or initiative is, you might have to pivot. So for me, I was not good at that before. Yeah. I mentioned this. I'm not very, I'm kind of risk averse. So it takes a lot for me to make a change because I'd rather have stasis than making multiple changes all the time, especially as the companies that you work in are larger, get larger and larger because yeah, constant change is a distraction. It's hard for people to focus when you're constantly changing things. So as an early, or if you're early in your career, I would consider how can I best manage myself as with respect to the work that I'm doing the goals that I want to achieve, how I think I can move the needle for the business. Yeah. And then as a team, can you kind of repeat maybe one more time um, the question with regard to the team? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just if there um, is a person or there's a team that doesn't have any operations because they're a small team, but they know that they want to kickstart this somewhere where's the most important place to start? Is it getting a dedicated sales ops person? Is it getting a a rev ops person that dabbles in all? Or is it just in within each team, somebody that's already there kind of takes on a little Mm -hmm. bit to drive more efficiency and performance? It almost feels like you answered your own question. (laughs) Because because, um, depending on the team, right? Like maybe there are operationally inclined individuals on the on, at the company already and maybe yeah. they'll be the ones to say like oh you know what I really like and this is goes back to passion and efficiency and execution right so if someone actually is excited to do the work wants to learn wants to do more it takes for at least for me personally I spend time outside of work thinking about operations and researching industry yeah. best practices. And so if you don't care about that at all, either go find one of the many wonderful consultancies out there or freelancers to help you yeah, or take a, sit down and take a good hard look as a team, right? Of where are the areas where we actually need rigor, right? I'm a very operationally rigorous person. I love process. I love rigor, but I also don't like process for the sake of process. Mm -hmm. Um, It needs to have a reason for it. And hopefully you can tie potential bookings or revenue to those problems that you're seeing. So I I would say that, you know, it depends on the the DNA of the team, right? So maybe there are people in the marketing team that are interested in marketing. So I I mean, it, it all really depends, but the more you can communicate together as an organization and leadership, especially, but also across all levels, right? The more we can find out like, what are the skills and desires of the people in the company? Because you don't want to, if you have good people and they're bored at their jobs, right? Like you want to help them grow and figure out ways where they can do. I learned about this um, last year from one of our VPs here at, at Sendesk. I'm going to butcher it, but it's called a secondment, like an amendment, second but secondment, ah, where uh-huh. you, um, and like traditionally, I think the official definition is you take a step back from your current role and then you just immerse yourself in a different role 
for a certain period of time, a set period of time. Interesting. I think that's really challenging these days. And I'll tell you, operations teams are generally pretty bootstrapped and lean. So it's kind of tough to step away fully from your job. But there's that element of what can I do that's that 1% project, right? Or 10% project to help me grow, right? That's outside of my normal day-to-day. Yeah, like an internal internship where you can kind of test something else out. Exactly. So interesting. This is similar, kind of stemming off of this chat of advice for these two situations. What advice, if we could go back in time, would you give yourself starting out in your career? So 15-ish years ago, knowing everything you know now, what would you tell yourself? You can stew on this. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Be be courageous and be confident because I know myself, right? I'm an overachiever. I've always figured it out. When you have competencies, figure out how you can develop confidence around those competencies. Because chances are, if you are listening to this podcast, you care about your own development and growth. This is really rare. So investing, I would tell myself, you know, invest in learning and networking because I've found that now, right, meeting more and more people, I realized, okay, wow, I actually know way more than the average person. And when I talk to people in my industry, I may know more, I may know less, but um, also I may know different things, right? Yes. So it's really fun for me to um, learn more about how other people get to their career path and yeah. where they are. But what I really wish I could have told myself and really worked on earlier in my career in my life really is you have the competencies, Michelle, be confident and do things to develop that confidence. Because I think I, I, that's always been that imposter syndrome. The confidence has yeah. always been um, one of my Achilles heels or my Achilles heel rather. And my mom, for example, she always kind of said, Michelle, why aren't you more confident? You have all these things. And having someone believe in me, I still didn't believe it myself, right? And yeah. I think actually being at Zendesk and getting promoted two times um, within two, two, three years And having um, more of that competency in my functional area, which I I did have before, but having someone who could model for me that they are that confident because they know their stuff, that's that's Dimitri that I was talking about, um, really was inspiring to me. And actually seeing two senior women in my department who also look, they don't look like me, but they're both Asian American women who were senior directors. And I'd never seen that. Yeah, right? I'd, had a, I'd had an Asian woman manager in my first job, which I love her, but seeing those role models for me helped me with my confidence. So that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that women's voices are heard. People of color are elevated. I always try my best to give credit to the people who aren't in the room yes. because that's how you grow your influence and ensure that people that are historically not seen as leaders or seen as, you know, successful, get that reputation is that sponsorship. So yeah, I think really focusing on developing my competencies, focused on where I want to grow competencies in and developing that confidence by practicing and figuring out ways to develop the confidence is what I would say to myself. I love that. And and not getting caught in the comparison trap, right? Which we all do with that imposter syndrome. (laughs) Oh, yeah. so it's great to meet other people in our space and in our industry that are doing similar or on similar career paths. My personal, just because I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying is I always w- would love to meet these people, but then I would compare and then I would feel bad 
instead of meeting these people, it's taken a long time, but I'm starting to turn it around where I'm meeting these people and getting inspired instead of threatened. I think that's so huge. It goes with that confidence. That's, I mean, there's room for more of us. Like if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, do you think men are thinking, oh man, I can't support this other man in my, like, no, we have (laughs) each other up. So true. And so if we only see one woman in the leadership team, for example, how can we think like, oh, I can be there too, or I can yeah. see other people there too. And the same with people of color. Yeah, that's that's kind of the advice and yeah, what I think is really important values to me. Thank you for sharing, Michelle. And thank you because just simply being able to share your voice on this podcast and you taking the time to share your voice with us here, hopefully creates that space for more people to do so, more women to do so in our industry and get over that imposter syndrome, take a stand, speak, and just get out there more and build that confidence and that network. As we wrap things up, I do want to ask a couple quick last minute questions. Number one, what is your favorite book or podcast right now? So book, my I have a mentor that I was matched through Wise Women in Sales Everywhere, Lindy Jones. She's a um, sales and revenue operations VP. And she recommended How Women Rise. And uh, my digital library loan expired before I could finish it, but I'm on the, I'm on the wait list now. But one <laughs> of the first chapters really resonated with me. Like, don't freak out if you're not prepared. So like, I would, I would need to go back and finish reading that book, but I really recommend it for women specifically. Yeah, wrote and that down. Pod- <laughs> yeah, How Women Rise. And then uh, for podcasts, I probably listen to like five or six podcasts a day and I listen to it at 2x speed because I'm yeah. too impatient. <laughs> but um, I, hate, I hate listening. I hate looking at a computer screen all day. And then if, if I don't yes. have to, and podcasts are funny, you, you learn something new or you're relearning something. So I really enjoy interview style, like business, personal development podcasts. And some of the regular rotations or uh, shows on my regular rotation are um, Think Fast, Talk Smart, Chiefs, The New Rules of Business. Permission to Speak, which only aired, I think they only did a season in 2020, but like, I really, really um, recommend that one because it talks about people's voices. And that's why I'm kind of self-conscious about my voice and just listening to this professional speech coach has been really, was really interesting. Some other ones are Negotiate Anything, CRO Spotlight, um, the RevOps podcast, How I Work. And I really love Adam Grant's work life. And he also has a new podcast called Rethinking. I love Adam Grant. Yes. And I I really want to make a conscious effort to support creators of creators who are of color and women. So some ones that I recommend are the Tao of Self-Confidence, really short, like 10, 15, 20 minute episodes. Uh, Speak as a Leader, this lady, I can't remember her last name, but Nosheen, she's great. She's also like a, a speech coach. The Asian Hustle Network, Dear Asian Americans, this guy named Mike Kim has a, has a podcast called You Are the Brand about your personal brand. Mm. And I also have to do a shout out to two of my former colleagues and friends. So Rosalind Santa Elena is an expert in the RevOps space. And um, she has been running a podcast called The Revenue Engine for a couple of years now. And it's really focused on founders, CEOs, revenue, C-level suite, revenue leaders, and focusing on high growth companies and the strategies that they use to drive growth. And then lastly, I recommend my former colleague, Kalina Bryant's 
podcast called Unapologetic. So it's like, it's un- ah. unapologetic, but it's with like the tech. So I love this. Love it. She interviews women of color and there's career tips in there and how to be successful while you maintain a good work-life balance. So that's a lot, but I listen to a lot of them. So hopefully, you know, you'll pick one or two and get some value out of them. I'm excited to check all of these out. And I will, if you share some links with me, if I missed any, I will put them all in the show notes so people can just check that out and click right through to to check them out. Definitely all for promoting fellow podcasters here. These sound like gold nuggets. So thank you for sharing, Michelle. And thank you again for sharing just your wisdom with us today. You are a breath of fresh air and it's just so good to chat with you about anything on the operations side or just career growth and advocacy. So thank you very much. I really love this topic. I'm passionate about it. Like I said, you can find me on LinkedIn. There's a lot of Michelle Kim's out there, but not a lot of Michelle Kim's at Zendesk. <laughs> so that's I will link, you can find me. <laughs> I'll link to Michelle's LinkedIn also inside the show notes. So quick link there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michelle. And thank you everyone for listening today to Women in B2B Marketing. Definitely share, like, promote, give us any love that you have the time to do. We appreciate it. Thank you all and have a great day, Michelle and everybody. Thank you. Bye, Jane. Thank you.